for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. How are you all today? Look at somebody right quick and slap them a high five and say, Happy New Year. Tell them they made a good decision to, to, to come out first thing when it's so cold. Tell them that. Start the year off right. Grab a Bible. Grab a smartphone. Grab a, a tablet, whatever it is you use to follow me in the scriptures. And grab that. If you don't have a Bible, that one in the pew is yours. Yellow one. We, we promise. You can use it all morning. Take it home with you. Um, that's God's love letter to us. And for us to discover uh, what we need to know, we've got to read it. And so we want you to join us in that journey. We're going to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, so you can turn over there if you want to. And I uh, want to say, uh, boy, if you missed our holiday times, man, our services, you missed a crazy, awesome time, man. Christmas Eve morning, we had an all-in service. Probably was the best Christmas thing we've done. Definitely the best all-in service we ever did. It was awesome. I didn't have to do anything. I got to sit and watch the whole service and just say, hey, thanks for coming and tell everybody goodbye. Have a Merry Christmas. That was all I got to do. And it was awesome. Didn't need me. And then we did. We baptized 18 people last Saturday morning on New Year's Eve in that tank back there behind me. And that was so cool. And we had communion together. And I kind of launched you guys into a new season, a new year, and spoke for about 15 minutes, believe it or not. Um, just 15 minutes. That's not going to happen today. We got a lot of plowing to do. Um, so I'm going to try and hit it hard. Um, we're going to kind of survey Nehemiah 8 through 13, kind of, just to give you an idea of where we're headed. And so let's pray, okay? Jesus, we just bless you, and we love you, and we honor you. And it's in your uh, presence that we sit right now. As we just sang, God, it's your breath in our lungs. And so, God, we, we want to be full of everything that's you. And so, God, guide us into truth. Help your, your words to penetrate not just our ears. God, help them not just to be words on a page that our eyes see, God, help them to be life that penetrates our hearts and our souls and our very beings, Jesus. God, as our kids are learning uh, this, year, this, this month in, in children's church, God, about discovering the mystery that's you, God, I pray that that mystery would continue to be, continue to be a, an amazing thing to us as adults, God, that we would grow in you and know you. Even as teenagers, God, there would be this opening of treasure that we grow from and, and learn about you and learn about life, God. And so, Jesus, today, help us to see that. And so, God, we love you and we bless you and we honor you. It's in your amazing, strong, awesome, powerful name, Jesus. Amen. It's that time of year again, isn't it? Assessing, goal setting, reso that's not resoluting, resolving, huh? Resolving things are going to be different. If you're like me, probably what happens is you make certain plans, certain ideas, certain commitments, and you run out of energy and focus way before the calendar turns, even the month of January. Are you with me? Anybody like that? Experts tell us this, that if the reason that happens is because when we, when we do set a plan or, 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 or come up with an idea, if we fail to make a plan, we fail to write the plan down, and then if we, then we fail, we have to have an accountability process to ensure the fulfillment of the plan. And if we let loose of any of those pieces of that puzzle, chances are we fail at following through. Anybody like that? Huh? Some of you right now already haven't even told your spouse what your commitment is, your goal is right now. 
You know what that means? You're setting yourself up for failure. Some of you have thought about an idea, but you've never let it develop into a plan. You never thought through a process of how it, things might be different. And if some of you have come up with a plan, you've, you've, never, you've never sat down and jotted it down. So you, you can have some hard evidence that you're either tracking or you're not. And here's the thing. If we don't, if we don't do those things, we will find ourselves stagnated. We will find ourselves stuck in a ditch or a rut. We will find ourselves just as frustrated on January the 8th, 2018, as we are on January the 8th, 2017. Life will have ceased to be different. The Bible tells us that as followers of Christ, we should be growing from glory to glory. We should be putting some things into place and allowing God to assess us and grow us so that we're different, that we keep changing, we, we keep becoming more like him. But we've got, we have got to be put ourselves in a spot to allow that to happen. So we'll find there's a plan. There is a map. God's already lined it out for his glory, for our benefit, and for the proclamation and the transformation of not just our lives or our homes, but that of the entire world. So we're going to start reading some verses in Nehemiah today. Such a context up kind of uh, understand these, the, the, the people of God, the, the children of Israel have come through a horrendous, and I mean horrendous time. Due to their own lack of direction, lack of focus, lack of commitment, they have found themselves in a space where things are just torn to shreds. They've lost their homes. They lost the temple that they get to worship in. They're, they're, the city that they love, Jerusalem, is torn to shreds. The walls are torn down. Things have gone really bad for them for a great, great number of years. They've lost their children. They have been exiled away from everything that's normal. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, we find that they have come back to the land the Lord promised them. They have rebuilt its walls, but they find out there's still some things that are yet, uh, yet awry, that they're, they're not where they need to be. And, and I read to you on, on New Year's Eve morning from Isaiah 40, and there's some amazing words there that say things like this, your sad days are gone. The mountains will be brought low. The valleys will be brought high. The crooked places will be made straight. And for the people of, of, of Israel, they, in this moment in Nehemiah chapter 8, they're kind of living that fulfillment. Because you see, Isaiah speaks that before the exile. They're living it, this out after the exile. And it's not a complete fulfillment because we'll only find those words coming absolutely true when Jesus sets up his kingdom eternally that we'll all get to enjoy, enjoy at his second coming. But it's it's kind of a microcosm of that idea that the sad days are gone. The hard places have been leveled out for a time. And so we, 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 we're going to plug through that. We need to, I, I thought, I looked at my wife and I thought, that's crazy. I've never seen that video for, for the orange curriculum that you just saw for the offertory till just now. And you will find that some of the themes that they talk about in that video, I'm going to be talking about here this morning. He said something about connecting to what really matters. We're going to talk about today about how we need to really reconnect to what really matters. So if you would look with me to Nehemiah chapter 8, about verse, we're going to look at, look, look at a few verses here in Nehemiah chapter 8 just real quickly, and then we'll bounce on to some other, some other pieces of Nehemiah. We need to realize, we need to realign, we need to refocus. 
Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 13 through 15 read like this. On October 9th, the family leaders of all the people, together with the priests and Levites, met with Ezra, the scribe, to go over the law in greater detail. And as they say the law, they discovered that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in shelters during this festival to be held during this month. And as they sent them out to go grab branches, verse 17 then reads, they were, they were to use these branches to make shelters in which they would live during the festival as prescribed by the law. Here's what this, this teaches us. That they, they realized something. They realized they were off track. They realized that from the word of God. Now, in, in, in their day, they, were, they, they, they had to be absolutely committed to this ceremonial following of God because that's all that they had. And there was festivals that God had set up on purpose. And, and maybe to us, it seems kind of like a minor thing, okay? But all of these festivals they would celebrate would point them to the coming Messiah. That's the crazy thing about it. God told them to have a festival, have a party, have a time, and rejoice that God is going to save that which was lost. They were to be reminded that, that, that this world was not their home. They were to live in temporary shelters on purpose. And it seemed kind of minor to us, and that's the problem. We let minor things get us off track. And sometimes we need the Word of God to remind us what's really important. They find suddenly they were off, and God's willing to get them back on track. Look at verse 16 and 17. So the people went out and cut branches and used them to build shelters. Verse 17 says, so everyone who had returned from captivity, everyone who had lived out that horrible period of time, everyone who had that excruciating thing of being, being, being pulled up from their, their homes, watching their families carried off into slavery, watching people die, going through all this stuff, all of them lived in these shelters during the festival. Now listen to this, and they were filled with great joy. I'm not a camper. Greg Phillips and I talked about this yesterday on the phone. Dude, living in the tent just sounds like zero fun to me. I mean zero. I, I don't like anything about it. I don't enjoy it. I don't like setting it up. I haven't, but these people found great joy in living in these temporary houses for a week. They found great, you know why they found great joy? Because they were getting back on track. They were grateful to God that he was gracious enough to help them realize they were missing it. And it brought great joy. Joy erupted among them as they, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, it says, since the day of Joshua. We get to live in a tent. <laughs> I can't imagine me doing that, honestly. But guess what? They were. Why? Because they were getting back on track. They were grateful. But not only had God helped them get back to their land and rebuild physical walls, he was dealing with their hearts. And they were grateful for it. Look at the next thing. You think this is crazy. The other thing that they realized that they needed the book. Ne ne Nehemiah 18. Ezra read from the book of the law of God on each of the seven days of the festival. Then on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly as was required by law. You see, reading the book solidifies the foundation, puts things back in proper perspective. As I was studying for this very piece of, uh, uh, of messages... I had somebody walk into my office one, one afternoon. I said, Pastor, I got a gift for you. The gift was given to me because they had gone through a really rough time. Loss in their life, and they were going through things. And as they and family members were going through stuff, they found a thing called a plumb line. 
I was told I should bring this to you. You might want this. See, there is a plumb line. For those of you who work in construction trades, you know if things are out of plumb, it's not so important that they're out of plumb at this point. It's important they're out of plumb out there. When you get further down the wall, when you get further in the construction of the building, if something's misaligned, then it, it's jacked up all the way the rest, of the, the rest of the process is messed up. And see, God gives us his word as a plumb line. We have, we have something to measure things up against, whether life is in order or not, whether ministry is in order or not, whether our culture is in order or not. And if we get away from the book, we get away from what God wants. And it may not be drastically important right now at this second, at this moment, but out there somewhere, it becomes a great big deal. And so they, they took great joy in Ezra standing here and just reading from the book. There was not exposition. There was not teaching. He would just stand in front of them and he would read. And they were locked in. Some of you were already concerned because I already said I wasn't going to be preaching for 15 minutes this morning and it wouldn't be anywhere near that. And you're like, oh, crap, Really? The pastor wanted to say crap from the stage. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I was just saying what you're thinking. You know, I'm just saying that, right? And so he, 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 he's reading. They realize that's the foundation. That's the thing that makes things solid, that gets things back on track. And they, they listened with great joy. Now, verse, chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, read like this. On October 31st, 22 days later, the people assembled again. And this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of Israel, Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. It's almost 11. We just said we plow till 2. But they didn't stop there. Check this out. Then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. Wow. See, we have to realize in order to come back, once we realize where we're off track, there has to be a, a, a realignment issue and a refocus issue. And they do four things here in this piece of scripture to cause realignment that brings a new focus to them. Okay? So they, they intensively listen. Intensively. They weren't thinking about whatever playoff game's happening later today. They weren't, about, they weren't worried about roast uh, burning in the oven or whatever's for dinner. They, they, they intensively listened. And that allowed them to align themselves so they could refocus on God's word. We have to intensively listen to the voice and the word of God, to the teaching of God. We have to, so we can refocus on the plumb line here. Right? Then they did this. They intentionally were seeking. They, we realign ourselves by intentionally seeking, seeking. How do we do that? We refocus our, our, ourselves on God's face. This is the idea of prayer and fasting. Nothing, not something that's popular or common in our culture, but is absolutely necessary for us to come through certain things. Jesus would look at his disciples one day and say, this kind of thing doesn't get overcome except by prayer and fasting. That's the only way you get through it. That's the only way you overcome it. And so there's lots of things going on in our lives, and we won't relent from normal stuff just for God to help us overcome. We won't keep doing the same thing over again and keep getting the same results and complain to God because he's not doing anything. And he wants us concentrating on his face, not the stuff. So we have to intentionally seek to help us refocus on God's face. 
The other thing they did, they intensively confessed. We realign ourselves by intensively confessing. And this is where we refocus on God's forgiveness. And oh, by the way, it's not our salvation, it's His. He's the one who gives it to us. It's His possession to offer. And see, this changes how we look at our own lives. It changes how we interact with other people because He then makes us not just the recipients of His salvation, the distributors of it. Are you hearing me? And some of us don't live in his salvation anymore. We live in in an experience we had however many years ago one time, but we're not right now in the middle of that salvation, that forgiveness, because we think we're past certain things. And the whole point of the problem is we're probably still in pride. We're probably still walking in fear. We're probably still walking in laziness. We're probably still walking in certain things. And we are ate up and we don't realize it until we intensively confess and say, God, I'm missing it. If any of you guys do any kind of devotion reading, you should go read Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening Devotion, his morning devotion for today, because he will, he will slap you in the mouth. He did me. I, I highlight almost the whole paragraph. I'm like, dude, that, that hurts, but that is good. He talks about our, our public worship being a thing of pride, even though at our best intentions, it becomes prideful. It becomes, it becomes vain because we want other people to make sure we want to, we want to look holy in front of people. And it was, it was, even, even our service to God becomes something because we, we want to make sure we're, we're, our, our motives, even in trying to do things for God, we get it messed up. Even our private devotional time becomes something that's about us and not about him. I mean, it was just, it was just busting me in the mouth this morning. I got to confess, I'm I'm there. Why? So I can enjoy the real power of his salvation, walk in the the glory of his grace, understand his truth, reads me more than I read it. Man, it's good stuff. And they they intentionally worship. That's how they realign themselves. They intentionally worship, and that refocused them in God's presence. God intends to have a people for himself that are constantly walking in him. Many are led by the Spirit. They are the, the sons and daughters of God, right? Not just people who show up to church on Sunday morning. Those who are, who are led by the Spirit, those who live in the Spirit, those who have worship as a lifestyle, they, they are the ones who are intentionally worshiping him day in and day out, time in and time out. For us, this looks like this moving forward. Starting next Sunday, January 15th, we will enter a 21-day of prayer and fasting. There will be resources out in the main foyer for you or in the cafe. We haven't determined where yet. That have ideas for how to, how to fast. There will be a, a, like a prayer guide for you to walk through. There will be a, a calendar. What we want to do is try and cover as much of the calendar, as much of the day, as much of those three weeks. Have, have people from Church Triumphant covering time. There's a constant attitude of prayer emanating from Church Triumphant. So what, what are you doing the next, couple, next week? You determine what that fast looks like for you. Not gonna make some blanket statement that we're all gonna fast the same meal. We're not gonna make some blanket statement that we're all gonna fast the same piece of technology. We're gonna we're gonna let God work with us where we need worked. Because all of you know what things impede your growth and your hunger for the things of God. Might be Facebook, might be Twitter, might be the TV, might be food. But here's the thing: you just don't give up those things. You, you whatever things you give up, you replace that things for seeking God's face and worshiping Him. So when you give up a meal, it's not just giving up a meal. It's going, I'm going to the car during lunch break at work, and I'm going to suck in the word of God because man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so the next thing, next one, which is I want spouses, I want families to get together and go, dude, well, how are we going to do this? Are we going to fast a certain meal every day? Or what, what are we going to do? And just begin because circles are better than rows, right? Right? Amen. Come on now, Right? This week, you got a week to assess. you got a week to look at it and go, okay, how am I going to do this? What, what am I going to do? Make some extra time. Next, here's what happens. They, they recollect 
and recommit. Now, if you look at the recollection phase, it's Nehemiah 9, kind of verse 5 down through 37. I'm not going to read that whole thing. Okay? We're going to look at a couple of verses. And what they recollect is this ebb and flow of these ideas. God is great. We just sung those words on the screen, right? God is great. But us, we can all constantly live in a spot of faithlessness, don't we? But you know what? God doesn't, God's, our faithlessness doesn't mess with God. He remains continually faithful. And you'll read in Nehemiah 9, this ebb and flow. Listen to these words. Look, 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 look at Nehemiah 9, 5 through 6. Then the leaders of the Levites, and they named them, and I'm not going to say all, Yeshua, Kadmiel, blah, 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 I don't say all those words, called out to the people. Stand up and praise the Lord your God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting, exclamation point. Can I say something? Well, let me, let me, I'm going to get sidetracked. Then they prayed, may your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserved them all and the angels of heaven worship you. Ooh, is that awesome? Are those awesome words? I mean, if you, if you have an inkling towards the things of God at all, that, those words are just like rev the engine, man. That's my God. That's who I serve. And that, that's him, right? The leaders stand in front of the congregation. They say those words from the, in front of the people. Leaders, can I say something to you? Take it from a loving pastor. Next Sunday morning at 830, we have a chance to do that very thing. And if 830 is too early for you, I wonder whether you should be a leader or not. Because it starts with those guys, and they name them by name. We're starting a season of fasting and prayer, ladies and gentlemen. Leaders, if I were you, I'd just set my alarm right now for next Sunday morning. If we want to set the tone and the pace as leaders that God wants to do something, he's doing something among us, we should be the ones who are pace setting. It's right there in the book, buds. Nah, no excuses. Am I, are you hearing me? The leaders start this. The leaders, willing to be named. Uh -huh. Okay. Boy, something just went crazy. I'm in a whole other sermon somehow. That's weird. <laughs> I got crazy and things went sideways. I don't know. Give me a chance. Leaders, you should, you should, maybe God wants me to camp out there. I said, forget that one. Just stay right there for a while. Just stay right there for a while. Verse 9 through 16 reads like this. There's a butt here. This is, this is a bad butt. Okay. But our ancestors were proud and stubborn, and they paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Some of you come through with a really rocky road, and you've forgotten all the stuff already God's already done for you. Yeah, things were bad. Things, things have been bad. Maybe they haven't, but you've forgotten that Jesus has saved you. You've forgotten what he did in that one hard time a couple years ago. You've forgotten, and you've become stubborn, and you've become stagnant. They're confessing before the Lord. Instead, they, they refused to obey. They remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. Now, listen, there's a but. There's another but in here. Look at this. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. Are those words awesome? In our faithlessness, he remains faithful. He will not deny who he is, even though we deny who he is all the time. 
We are like them. This has not changed. This cycle of humanity has not changed. That's why we need the grace of Jesus to live in it. Paul would say it's the grace in which we stand in Romans 5. And that this is, this is what they're talking about. Look at this. You're not, but even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. They committed terrible blasphemies. The people of God, not the pagans, the people of God. Now, we don't have idols that look like golden calves. We have idols that look like vehicles and well-groomed yards, shoes, big screen TV, relationships. Some of us, some of us have gods that look like little pills. We can't make it through a day without relenting and giving in to, to certain things chemicals and, and, and we can't till we get our fix of that one tv show till we there's there's that thing that keeps pulling us away that we're worse we don't even realize it i mean it, 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 it's a navigation back towards slavery we don't even realize it and then we read the words of god but there's another but in there right but in your great mercy you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness you led them by the pillar of cloud in the day and the, 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 the fire at night god was always faithful they were so compelled they re, they recollected that god was up to something because they had seen throughout history they would always get it wrong and he would always stay right Oh, it was, it was a beautiful ebb and flow. Verse 36 and 37 kind of talk about them. Now we're in this land of abundance and we're still slaves. They say those words. Well, could anything else be truer of us? We're in a land of abundance, the most prosperous place on the planet. And yet we are slaves to things. Slaves to things that, 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 that kinder us from being the people of God. We're slaves to notoriety. We're slaves to how many friends we have on Facebook. We're slaves to, to the bottom line, our retirement plan. We're, we're slaves to, to, to football of all things. Oh, oh, no, right, right? Huh? We're slaves to all sorts of stuff. But God remains faithful. And that, that recollection causes something to happen for them. They recommit. They recommit in three different ways. They recommit covenantally. A covenant is a solemn pro promise in writing with names. That covenant exists between God and a person, and that, that, that covenant always has outplay to people beyond the person making the covenant. Okay? God is covenantal. He always has been. He always will be. And they commit covenantally. Look at verse 9, chapter 9, verse 38. The priest responded, in view of all this, in view of all what? Your greatness, our faithlessness, but your faithfulness continually. In light of this, they're compelled to do something. They are, they are compelled to recommit covenantally. Listen to these words. We are making a solemn promise, and we're putting it in writing. On this sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. About a year and a half ago, we developed this idea. It's longer ago than that. We brought before you guys about a year and a half ago of this idea of covenant, and everybody got uptight. Dude, it's right here in the Bible. And I don't care about what it looks like. we got to be biblical before we're anything else. And the reason we would do that is not because we're good, we're great, we're holy, and all that. Because quite the opposite. We are messed up. And we have to know what the plumb line is. And we got to say, dude, I want to measure up to that. And I want the help of God and the help of people to make sure I stay there. 
And so covenantally, they go, dude, put my name on the list. If this is what God says is right, we've seen the outplay of what's wrong. This has been a horrible stretch of territory to walk in. Let's get this right with names. Messed with me last time, man. People got jacked up because I asked them to put a name up there. For church? You'll do it for a stinking cell phone. Check the box. You'll commit yourself to pay for a car for 72 months. Think nothing about it. But commit to something eternal. You put your name on it's a big deal? Really? Excuse me while I preach a little bit, okay? So here's what... I'm going to keep going. They recommitted organizationally. Okay? They recommitted organizationally. They need, some of you guys are C personalities, man. You like flow charts and things like this. This is right here through Nehemiah chapter 10. They take this thing and go, then we're going to start here, and this covenant, this, this recommitment is going to start up here. It's going to flow all the way down through this, and this is how it's going to go. They needed a flow for everybody. They just start with leaders and then bring it down so it would affect everybody else, right? Nehemiah 10, 1 and 2, read this. The document was ratified and sealed with the following names. And they start at the top. The governor, Nehemiah, the guy whose book we're reading, and also Zedekiah. Then the following priest, name some people there. And then it goes down through. The following Levites, da 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 The following leaders, da 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 And so all of these people are like, dude, we're in. We are all the way in. There's an organization about what we're doing here. We have a plan. We're going to follow the plan. God's given us this word. He showed us this plumb line. We're going to walk this thing out. We're going to involve his help. We're going to covenant with him, knowing that he makes good on his promises because he's always faithful. And we're going to ask him to put his character into us individually and collectively so we can be as faithful as he is. Blammo, put my name on the list. And we're not shy about it. It's like John Hancock, man. Give me, the, give me, where do I sign? It might cost me everything. Don't you love John? I want to be John Hancock one of these days. I want something to really be on the line. I want to be the dude with the biggest name on the list. Like, dude, sign me up. Because this is eternal, man. We're not talking about physical property. We're not talking about houses. We're not talking about money. We're talking about the ideas of eternity. We're talking about the home in heaven. We're talking about people dying and going to hell. We're talking about our families growing in an admonition and nurture of the Lord. Why would I not want to put my name on that list? Anyhow. And then guess what? Nehemiah 10, 28. Then the rest of the people, and it starts out with some leaders, the priests, the Levites, and then people like ushers, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, people picking up trash, serving coffee, changing diapers, vacuuming floors, right? And all, and all, I'll tell you we're going time, and all, how many? All, who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land or that they might obey the Lord their God. Now, Dad, I'm going to talk to you for just a minute. Husband, I'm going to talk to you for just a minute. Because the next phrase are important. All the people separated themselves together with their wives, sons, Daughters, and all who are old enough to understand. Dad, you got to be the pace setter. Husband, you got to be the pace setter. You got to be the guy who's willing to put your name out before everybody else is. Start with the leaders, but it translated to where the haunted home fit into that, right? 
all who are old enough to understand, joined their leaders and bound themselves with an oath. The last part of verse 29 says this, they solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, decrees of the Lord, our Lord. Wow. In some churches, they call this church membership. In our context, we like to call it partnership because we're in this together. Not so much about what we get out of a membership, so much as what we get to participate in as partners in the work of the kingdom, in the edification and growth of one another. We call it covenant partnership around here on purpose. right? But they were clear, too, about what they were aligning themselves with. The last verse of Nehemiah 10 says something about neglecting the temple. This was an issue of prioritization. And it's funny what they prioritize and what they start with. Check this out. Nehemiah 10.30 says this. We promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not to let our sons marry their daughters. You know, what got, you know what got the culture all screwed up in Israel? They misunderstood what God had to say about marriage. Doesn't that sound familiar? Huh? And the first thing they get clear on is what we're going to do about marriage. Several months ago, we decided as a group, as a ministry team, we were going to put together a marriage statement. You found it in the covenant. Because it's important to understand what God says about the thing. Not redefine it. Not reorganize it, not any, do it the way God said do it. Things begin to go well when the house is in order. The family house, right? Do that first. They give a whole verse like, dude, we're going to get marriage right first. We as a church are going to get marriage right first, right? Secondly, they say, we're going to worry about our worship, verse 31. We also promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath or any other holy day, we'll refuse to buy it. Every seventh day, year, we'll let our land rest. We will cancel all debts owed to us. Here's the idea. They knew certain things impeded their ability to worship, and they got sidetracked really easily. They knew there were certain things. If they didn't prioritize certain things, they weren't able to worship God the way they wanted to. It wasn't so much about the day. It was about the heart. Can I say something? We talk about festivals, and we're talking about Sabbath now and all that sort of thing. Because of Jesus, that old system, the Hebrews would tell us, is done away with. Jesus died once and for all. We live every day in the Sabbath rest of Christ. But we have to relegate ourselves to prioritizing him above everything else. As New Testament Christians, we are not commanded nor demanded of us that we keep certain festivals. In fact, Paul would go as far in Romans 15 to go like this. He would say this. He said, whatever day you choose to observe, do it with a clear conscience. Okay? So I'm not, I'm not talking about like, we, you, every Sunday you got to get this. I'm saying, dude, in your heart, prioritize God. Whatever distracts you, get it out of the way. Make sure worship is utmost important to you. Anything that impedes your ability to pray, anything that impedes your ability to give away the gospel, anything that impedes your ability to get, get, get together in a family situation and talk about the things of God and grow in God, listen, get away, get, get, get rid of it. Anything that impedes your ability to congregate with the rest of the body of believers, get rid of it. That was a big deal to them. And they spend two whole verses, check this out, they spend two whole verses talking about marriage and worship. Then they realize how self-centered and how selfish they can be. And they spend an, another seven or eight verses talking about something else that we probably relegate to some other idea. They spend seven or eight verses talking about what we call generosity or tithing and offerings. Look at these words. In addition, we promise to obey the command to pay the annual temple tax of one-eighth of an ounce of silver, the care of the temple of our Lord. And going down in verse, verse 33, it says, it will provide for everything necessary for the work of the temple of our God. 
Verse 3, 4, at regular times each year, we're going, to do this, we're going to do this on purpose, periodically, we're going to be giving to the work of God for the benefit of people and the glory of his name. That's what they say. We promise to bring the first part, the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year. Next phrase is really important. We will bring the best. And we promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all of our rural towns. A priest of the Sinaveria will be the, with the Levites as they receive these tithes. And the very last lines of Nehemiah chapter 10 is this, verse 39. We promise not to neglect the temple of our God. Now, why is that important? Is it because God wants your money? No, because he wants your heart. Here's the problem. We, we tend towards self-centeredness and selfishness. And if we don't let our heart be focused on other things, other people, particularly on God and the household of faith that he's allowed us to walk with, and then additionally to that, the people who are lost around us, guess what? Life becomes all about us. And so God institutes something on purpose to make sure we continually stay on that, that we measure up to this plumb line of being a giver like he's a giver in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave, right? So they did this thing called tithing, and it's a really important thing. Why will we spend eight weeks beginning of the year getting every home group to do financial discipleship? Because of those seven verses right there. They were getting back on track, and they realized the best way to get back on track was to turn, turn things outwardly on purpose with the things that sustain their own lives. Because it's really easy to get caught with what your life's all about and what you need and forget that God wants something from you and forget that other people are in need around you and forget things. So we're going to deal with the, the basic, most basic level of all right there. And you can be upset with me if you want. And if you're visiting, you know what? It's in the Bible. I, I can't apologize for that. I'm not a televangelist. I'm not building some mansion. I don't drive some Rolls Royce. I have had every car I own in the shop in the last three weeks. I promise. I'm not eating something up. I don't want your money. What I want for you is to grow up into things of God and be completely focused and centered on him. And one of the best ways to start doing that is just do the very basic things of unleashing your heart from material stuff. So here's the thing. Get in a group. For the next eight weeks, plow along with starting next, next, next Sunday, February 5th, or January 15th, every group will start this series of financial discipleship together. Every group in our church. Here's what I say. Husbands, wives, you need to be on the same page. You got to be on the same page. You, go, you all need to be in a group. Both of you need to be. Not just one of you going. Both of you. If at all possible, I realize work schedule's getting away. I realize all that. Dude, we got to get this together. Our house has got to be on the right foundation. Rachel talked about filling out the form online, calling the church office. If you're not in a group, get in one now. You got a week. Okay? Boy. Can I talk about something else really quick? I'm sweating but I'm enjoying every bit of this. I'm just telling you right now. The God's word is awesome, man. It is so good for our life. It's so good for our heart. It's so good for our families. It's so good for us as a church. Why would I not want to talk about it and give it all my guts? Why not? Why would I sit here? Oh, anyway, let me take a drink. Nancy's sitting in the splash zone, so I got to make sure that it's, you know, you know what I mean? Something else we've done, because we want to be clear. We've done a marriage statement. We have also refined, not redefined, our doctrinal statement. That was all in the covenant that we gave to you a, a September ago. You guys remember that? All in there. So we can be absolutely clear. In these foggy days, we can't afford not to be clear. There's so much gray area and so much thing. The people of God need to be distinguishable from the rest of the people on the planet. And the way we do that is we measure up to the plumb line. And so we, we've redone those things. But here's something else we found. we found. We found we need to rework the basic idea of how church triumphant fun functions. 
okay? The, and some of you will never, ne- never see all the outplay of this because you're not involved in the upper echelons of ministry. But we felt, we felt the need to rework our bylaws. Let me explain something to you why, why we've come to those conclusions, okay? Number one, there wasn't, a stand, there wasn't a stance on marriage in it. Number two, there wasn't a firm doctrinal statement in the ones we had. The closest thing to a doctrinal statement was this. Article one, Church Rhyme is a nonprofit organization that exists for the purpose of gospel ministry. Closest thing to any doctrinal statement in the whole, in the whole work. That's it. I thought those were two things were problems. I understand another piece of the puzzle. I've served in leadership in this church since 1995. First board meeting I ever sat in was somewhere in July-ish, I think, of 1995. That was an interview to be, to, to, to be set aside by the board, the existing board at the time, to become the youth pastor of the church. In August, I became the youth pastor. About 2003, I was approached and said, you know, if, if things don't go very well, you, you may very well end up being the pastor of this church. What areas do you need to grow in? And I acknowledged that my, my Bible college training wasn't real heavy on church government, those kinds of structure things, and that I needed help in regard to that and the business of running a church. I could run a ministry, I could preach, I could teach. I, 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 my, my Bible training was really heavy in those areas, really lax in the other ones, okay? I never sat in another board meeting until March of 2008. I had never laid my eyes on a bylaw. I had never seen them. And for some of you, you wonder what, what, what significance of March 2008. That was the first meeting, board meeting I sat on as the senior pastor of the church. So there are lots of things that I didn't have a chance to ask questions about. And for the last several years, I've been reading and retraining and talking to pastors and trying to do things to get my mind around what this needs to look like, okay? I'm trying to help you guys understand, okay? And the cataclysmic times we live in, we've got to know what we're clear about, how things ought to operate biblically. Our bylaws, as they have been written for the last 25 years, have a board of directors that oversees everything. In our bylaws, there's no qualification what those board of directors are to look like. Nothing in the Bible. What are they? They're appointed by other board, other board members, things like that. And so the, the, there, there are terms in there that have to do with biblical terms, like the word many of you recognize with elders or deacons. But even the biblical leadership facet of that idea had to submit itself to this board of directors that sounds really cool and makes us IRS compliant, but unfortunately, it's not very biblical. Does everybody understand that? And so we, we have been working not only with the, the, the doctrinal statement, not only with the marriage statement, not only with the simplicity of not wearing you guys out trying to do ministry, that you can't be a minister to the people in your everyday life, right? Simplifying, right? We've been working for a couple years now to rework the bylaws. So here's what you need to know. When you leave out of here today, every one of you will walk out of here with a packet that has the church triumphant bylaws that we'll be operating under as we move forward. Every one of you. The back part of that will be the church covenant with a place for you to sign. For the next three weeks, four weeks-ish, we want you to go read through those. We want you to understand that what we, what we believe about how not only ministry is, what doctrine is, 
what roles people are to fill, why they're qualified to do it, all sorts of things like that. And so you're going to walk out the front door, right? At the very front door, there's a sofa table. There'll be a, a pile of, of packets we want you to take with you. Okay? We want you all to be on the same page we're on. Are we going to give in to elections? No, because you want know, to think elections get ugly and they get messy. And I can't find an election in the Bible. Not one where you vote and cast ballots. Like I, can't find. I find people of God pray. They listen to the heart of God. Leaders set something on the stage. We pray and fast. And, and you find a book that says words like this. It felt good. It felt, it, it felt to us and the Holy Spirit that whatever, so and so, be set apart for the call of God in their ministry, right? That's why we're going to read bylaws. We're going to be fasting and praying all at the same time. Novel idea. It's in the Bible. Ha <laughs> ha. We've never functioned in an election sort of thing. And I just, people get power. It's just crazy. We get, we forget we're here to serve. We're going to worry about the next election. Who's going to get reelected? Who did it? Tip of my toes. We're not getting into that. But we, we, we want an affirming process by which all of us can function together. Does that make sense? You can read it in there. So we'll be doing that. You'll walk out the door with that. We'll start financial discipleship February 15th. You've got to recognize something. Nehemiah 11, 12, and 13 give us the idea that there's some things that keep going and keep going. Number one, ministry is ongoing, reach is ever-expanding, and the need for new and growing leaders is ever-growing. Nehemiah 11, 12, and 13 give us the idea that we're never really in a stagnant spot, that things have to keep going. Nehemiah 11, 1 through 3 read like this. The leaders of the people were living in Jerusalem, the holy city, the place where they get critical mass. A tenth of the people from the other towns of Judah and Benjamin were chosen by sacred lots to live there while they rested, while, they, while, while the rest stayed where they were. And the people committed everyone who volunteered to resettle in Jerusalem. Here is the list of the names of the provincial officials who came to live in Jerusalem. Here's a list of leaders we trust to make sure this thing keeps going in the right direction. Okay? Here's what I'd say to you. We need ongoing growth in leadership capacities. Some of you have, have great skill. You have great understanding of the scriptures. You could pastor people well. And we, and we need, if we're going to keep reaching people and disciple people, we need more and more people who will put themselves out to help other people grow. That's what that, those three verses are about. We need to be constantly creating more group leaders. We need to be constantly creating space where there are more circles. And we're going to ask each of you to step into that and help us. Do that. If, you, if you've been around for a while, we got ideas for certain kinds of groups we're going to try and, try and launch here in the next, next months, maybe a couple years, to meet specific needs. We're going to need people to step into that. If you're approached by your leader and they think you're qualified, listen, you ought to say, what can I do? How can I help? What, 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 do, you, what, do, you, what do you see in me? What happens here is when you do that, you create a safe place. They, they, they erected physical walls that gave the people a place to thrive. They don't create just physical walls. They created spiritual and organizational walls for the people of God to thrive in. That involved new leaders. That involved other leaders. That involved things going on and changing and progressing. That happens all the way from Nehemiah 11.1 1, all the way down to Nehemiah 12.26. You just see this ongoing list of names of people who kept stepping up and stepping up and stepping up. In order to create a safe place for people, we have to do a couple things. We've got to stay centered on God's word. We've got to recenter on God's words constantly. We've got to reaffirm our covenant to, to, to follow his word together. And we have to refocus on God, what God says about marriage, about worship, about generosity, about all those things in there, and be like, dude, we're on this. 
In a culture that's running everywhere ragged crazy, we need to be a people who are stable and sure, know what we believe, why we believe it, what we do, why we do it. My wife did an amazing job of explaining to you the why, what, and how of Church Triumphant, that we would love God and honor him above everything else, that we would love other people and help them to honor God, and that we would create relational environments where people could grow. I just sat, I've been going to training one Friday a month uh, with a group of other pastors in Columbus. If I were going to seminary, it'd be seminary level training, okay? So I spent all day, fr- a Friday a month in Columbus, but my brain swimming by the time I get home. Rachel's like, you, you process? Oh, I can't tell you how much I'm processing. I'm just, uh, my brain is full. And one thing they kept telling us this past Friday is this. Without the relational connection, a person needs, needs three places to really be connected to the church and keep growing. They need to be spe- fed spiritually very well. I'm trying to do my best right now. Our leaders are trying to do their best right now to make sure that's the case. Secondly, you need a relational connection to people on an intimate level. Thirdly, you need to be involved. Can't sit on the outskirts. That's why the idea of covenant becomes such a big deal. So, you, so we know, you know what we, what we believe about things. So we can help you walk through things. So when things get crazy, we can help you walk it out. That, it's, 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 it's that important. And is that important? And it's not, I know, I know it has the feeling like, ooh, that seems kind of cultish. No, it's in the Bible. Cults take things in the Bible and they twist them, they skew them to, to brainwash people. And actually, all we're going to do is help you walk in the Bible. That's it, man. You should know us well enough. And now I'm not trying, dude, I don't want to manipulate anybody. Dude, I, I want to grow the kingdom, but man, I got my hands clear full. I, could, I, I don't know if I could handle another person come to church trying, but honestly, I feel like stuff's easing through my, easing through, easing through. And that's why, I need, that's why we need new leaders. More leaders, because I'm, I'm maxed out. I'm completely maxed out. I've got twice late, late night. I'm kind of, crud, I meant to call that person back. It's midnight. I have forgotten. Holy smoke, what's wrong with me? So I'm not trying to tell anybody to get more. I, 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 I just want to be faithful to what we got. I'm just figuring this. I want to get to heaven one day and, and Jesus look at me and go, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay, good. Thank you, Jesus. And so join us in that, all right? Nehemiah 12, 27 says this. It was a cause for great celebration and deeper and rededication, recommitment to the Lord. Nehemiah 12, 27 reads like this. For the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem, the Levites throughout the land were asked to come to Jerusalem to assist in their ceremonies. They were to take part in the joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgiving. When we find that we are lining up with God and we're lining up with one another, it ought to be great joy in that. Not great fear, not great uh, trepidation, not great worry. What is he doing? What is he talking about? I talked to a pastor here in town one afternoon after we had developed the idea of covenant brought before you guys and kind of got some turmoil with some people and different things like that. He looked at me and he said, Aaron, every time you ask people to come up to a new level, you're going to lose some. Just know that. Just know it. I'm not trying to drive people away. I'm not trying to freak any of you out. But I am absolutely like, listen, if we're in this, let's be in it. If we're in it, let's roll, man. Let, let, let's be committed a whole hog. Let's run the race and let's go the full route, man. Let's hold nothing back. I used to have a, a, a football coach who told me, listen, if you're going to go off sides, go off sides 100 miles an hour. At least let, let, make the guy on the other side of the line pay for it. <laughs> and here's what, I say, here's what I mean by that. We may get some of this wrong. And kind of, Nehemiah 13 tells us we are. Nehemiah has to go away, back to the king's court. 
He has to leave the people, and the accountability structure begins to fall apart. And when he comes back, he finds them doing all the same things they had been doing previous to, their, to, to them recommitting. And he looks up at the Lord, and he goes, several places, he goes, God, don't forget the work we did. What's going on here? See, it's never done. Our, perplex, our, our, our compulsion is back towards ourselves. Our compulsion is back towards selfishness. Our, it's easy for us to end up someplace if we're not constantly looking at the problem line. We're not constantly realizing God's faithfulness in the midst of our faithfulness. If we're not, if we're not doing those things, we miss it. And so here's some things we're going to do for the next couple weeks to ensure we, we stay on it. February 5th, we're going to have a, a celebration. I hope it resembles something like Nehemiah 12, 27. I'm going to call it Affirmation Sunday, for lack of a better word. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, have, a, we're going to have a meal together after service is over. I talked a little bit ago. As we build towards that, we're going to be praying and fasting starting on the 15th. That will bring us right 21 days up to February 5th. Okay? You guys should Google. If you don't know anything about fasting, you can Google stuff. Look for a Daniel fast. Look for, we'll have things for you next week. There'll be things in a weekly that's emailed to you on Thursday with links and stuff. We'll have packets for you. We'll help, we'll help you work through that. Okay? Some of you are vintage. If you know, if you know Vintage, that's a great word, isn't it? It sounds better than you are the old people, right? Some of you guys have been here a long time. If you know, if you know somebody who, who's struggling, you should intervene in, the, in, in their lives and say, listen, how, can, I, can, I, can I help you understand fasting better? Can I help you get through that? What do you know? What, what, what don't you know? Okay. Let me explain. I explained to you the new bylaws. So I want to help you understand some because I, I, I didn't completely understand it as I sat out there where you sit. For the last 25 years, we've operated under the board of directors. I've told you that. Right? And if Nancy would come join me here, please. She's like, please, Aaron, don't do that. Todd Jones. Would you please come this way too? The three of us, for the last about three years, have comprised what, was, what is known at the moment as our board of directors. Nancy has served forever, kind of along those lines. <laughs> and she has been in us, with us all the way. Todd and Nancy and I did all kinds of footwork. We read books. I gave them things. We read pages of bylaws of other churches. We did all sorts of things trying to prepare. After we fabricated that, we went to what we call our core leaders, which are every kind of department head. If you oversee any kind of major team, youth ministry, children's ministry, worship ministry, uh, Sunday morning stuff, you were, they were Mary and, and, and the prayer ministry, all kind of got together and said, this is what we're thinking. Give us input. Give us feedback. We shared thoughts and ideas and put things together. Our existing board of directors is this. Over the next three weeks from today until January 29th, we want you to help us affirm the calling of God on people's lives. And our board of directors, as it looks right now, will change into a team of elders, okay? Which will be, maybe, God will allow us, myself, Todd Jones, Greg Phillips, Mike Hines, and Derek's not in. Derek's in here. There's Derek. You are in the front. You, there, you guys, please come this way. Board directors will be, be now as of our next board meeting, which comes up here in a couple weeks. We will, we will ratify a new set of bylaws. We will, dis, we will disband this board of directors, 
that Nancy served on for a number of years, and it will become a team of elders. Biblically speaking, an elder is a person who serves in a pastoral capacity. Oversees a point. Guys, come up here. Don't, don't be shy. Come here. What are you guys doing? <laughs> okay. Here's what's going to happen. Derek, Greg, myself, Todd, and my dad are elder candidates at the moment. We're not going to have an election. We're not going to like have, you know, all this other stuff. Here's what needs to happen. Over the next three weeks, we want you to read the bylaws, read the biblical qualifications of an elder. If you find anything in the lives of us five guys that do not line up, we want to know about it. You will send, either make a phone call to the church office or an email to elder... Actually, that's a longer than it is. It's elderaffirm. Elderaffirm at churchtea.org. Not affirmation. Elderaffirm at churchtea.org. Here's what, here what I want. I want you to read 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to read the book of Titus. I want you to go in there and look at what it says. And then if you find things there that don't match up, we need to know about it. Here's what I say. I'm not, I'm not worried if you like Todd's sweater or not. <laughs> I don't care if you appreciate the kind of car he drives. I don't care if you like the way Greg teaches or not, the style, I mean. I don't care if you like the fact or not that, that, that Derek may or may not have tattoos. I do. <laughs> okay? What I want you to do, what I want you to do is comb through that. And if you find that houses, homes are out of order, if you find the idea of drunkenness or addiction, you, and, you're, and you're fully aware, I don't mean like accusations, I mean you know, you've seen something, you shouldn't, you, 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 you know, you line up those things, you say, these guys don't measure up. You will make a phone call, you will ask for Nancy, or you'll send an email, and we'll sift through it. Okay? You have three weeks to do that. As of January 29th, we won't, we, we, we won't listen to another one. On February 5th, if all goes well, we will set aside uh, us five guys to be the, the elder team that leads Church Triumphant going, into the new, going, going forward into the future. Trying to be as biblical as possible. Okay? We, 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 we want to walk out. We want to be as faithful to God as we can possibly be. Okay? That, that is the point. Not trying to wreck nobody's boat, not trying to mess anybody up. I just, I, I've, I've had to teach and learn and grow and ask questions all myself. And these, th th these guys have walked alongside of me in this for a long period of time. They serve, if you don't know, Derek's our children's pastor. He already, he already pastors a segment of Church Triumphant. Derek, or Derek, Derek's here. Greg, already, Pappy D and GP. Greg Phillips already pastors our teenagers, our youth. I'm, you guys know me already. I'm the lead pastor. Todd's a transitional person on the elder team. Been here together. He's helping us with, with small group ministry and focus stuff and different things like that. And my dad oversees the senior ministry to, to senior, the senior people, the vintage folk. <laughs> and he's a small group leader. Okay. And so here's the thing. We want to be the best leadership team going forward. And my hope would be that next year we, we, we assemble a couple more people on this, on this team that fit those qualifications that we, that we find to be biblical along those lines. And so maybe this time next year we'll, we'll affirm a couple other people. I'd like to have about seven. I'd like to have four of them be people who don't get any pay from the church. For all the obvious reasons. People can't say we're manipulating. We just want people's money. We're trying to do... No, we don't want any of that. 
You understand what I'm saying? We want to be wise. We want to, we want to leave, let the name of Jesus have a fragrant aroma in, in the community here and the community around us, and we want there to be no spe- speculation. I know we've plowed a lot of hard ground today. We've all agreed that this is the doctrinal statement. We, we, we've all agreed that, that, that this is a plan for us moving forward. We, we've tried to do it collectively as a team. You'll find Acts 6, they're, they're, when they have to make decisions, no, no, no one person gets credit for it. The apostles say, hey, we prayed, you guys find people who are faithful, and we'll, we'll, we'll affirm them. We, some things you don't know, prior to this moment, starting, this started last year, about this time, we started really, really ramping this up, trying to figure out where we're going, what we're doing. And for, the, for the, the summer into the fall, we did interviews. Nancy, Todd, and myself sat down with, with, with all the people you see here, with their wives, and said, hey, What's going on? Are there things we should be concerned about? Are there things that are messed up? What, what, what are you? And we, we sat for a couple hours each and just tried to hash out and make sure we're all trucking on the same direction. We feel like we've done our homework, is what I'm trying to say. But there are always possibilities that we've missed things. So, in Nehemiah, it's like, here's the leaders. And we signed off. We're the leaders. And if I could, if I could pull up core leaders, if you're a core leader, just stand up. If, you, if you're on the core leadership team, help us sort all this out. Uh, anyway, through the process. Mary was a part of it. Crystal was a part of it. Tasha, if she were standing here, she was a part of it. All throughout this last year or so, we've, we've, we've done this. And so, I'll be meeting with group leaders tonight and these guys. And we're going to hash out some other things and, and get, make sure we're ready to go. You guys can be seated. We're going to make sure. Yeah, yeah, all of you can. All right. <laughs> I heard one pastor, as they were walking through this process, say, here's, our, here's the guys we're considering for, for elders. If you've bought pot from them, we kind of need to know about it. All right? So those, those kinds of things, all right? Um, you understand what I mean. So here's the deal. What, what should you learn personally from all of this? February 5th, we'll have, a meet, we'll have, a, we'll have a, an affirmation service. We'll, we'll, we'll sign off on the covenant, all of us together. We will affirm the elder team if God allows us to com- keep it comprised the way it is. And we'll have a dinner together after service, okay? But what does it mean to you individually? What, what, what have we read that means something to you individually? Can I say something to you? If you don't pick up anything else, I hope the verses in Nehemiah chapter 9 resonate with you. First of all, God is great, man. He is great. He sits in heaven enthroned in majesty. He created everything. He he preserves everything. The angels worship him. He is great. But we're not. If you find life is off track, welcome to the club. None of us have it together. None of us got to get it 100% right. And if you're frustrated with life and turmoil is running amok with you and around you, if, if, if everything just seems topsy-turvy, if you, you're in grief and loss and all sorts of things, understand this, we get it. God's still great, but we understand your life may not be what you want it to be right now. We, we understand that, that grief and, and pain and, and difficulty, addiction, all sorts of other things may be plaguing you, financial stress and, and trouble at home and all of that stuff. It, it may be ongoing. And some of it might be self-inflicted. Some of you 
Read those words that they confess, and you go, dude, that's me. I, oh, I'm stubborn. I can't be prideful. Yeah, I, I don't listen very well. Yeah, I, and, and, you, and you may look at it and go, man, I have been faithless. Can I say something else to you? You might be faithless, but God is faithful. And the beautiful story of these last chapters of Nehemiah is this. In spite of all their faithlessness, God still came through. He still brought them back. He still helped them build the wall. He still reminded them of of the plumb line. He still accepted their covenant with himself. He still said, listen, if you want to rope me, let's run. And today, for every one of us, he looks at us and goes, I know you got it goofed up. I know you you try to live in the the light of of my greatness and, and my love towards you, and you've screwed up. But I get it, and I'm going to be faithful. Just keep walking with me. Just keep running with me. Just keep helping me by by walking and setting things aside in your life. This morning, know he's great. Be real about your faithlessness. But let his faithfulness compel you to come back and keep running the race. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.